Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. The last few Sundays we've been hearing uh, parables about the kingdom of God, primarily from the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, And today we hear a few additional ones that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, that it's like a pearl of great price, that it's like a net thrown into the sea that gathers into itself uh, both good and bad fish that are then sorted out. We have all these parables about uh, the kingdom of God. So I thought it might be helpful this Sunday to sort of contextualize a little bit uh, these parables about the kingdom of God and then to offer uh, a couple concluding thoughts on the specific parables that we find um, in today's gospel. So in Matthew, the public ministry of our Lord primarily takes place over the course of chapters 5 to 25. It's by far the vast majority of his gospel. Uh, Leading up to chapter 5, we have the infancy narratives, and we have the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, and the saga of John the Baptist. Um, And then in chapter 4, Matthew sort of sets the stage for the next 20 chapters and the activity or the public ministry of Jesus before he enters into his passion, death, and resurrection. And this is how Matthew sets the stage. He says, And he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. So these three things, teaching, preaching about the kingdom, and healing diseases and illnesses are pretty much going to occupy the next 20 chapters of St. Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew will sort of weave in and out these various actions of Jesus throughout the next 20 chapters, teaching, preaching specifically about the kingdom, and then healing people. So we might start since the Gospel today is about that second piece, preaching about the kingdom, it may be helpful to ask the question, well, what is the kingdom of God? Because we hear this phrase thrown around constantly in the Gospels, and sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes it seems as though the Lord is talking about one thing, and another place it seems like He's talking about another. You know, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God? Well, The best way to understand the kingdom of God is to zoom out for a moment and uh, allow ourselves to appreciate a very, very significant truth about uh, how God works in salvation history. And the truth that it's important for us here to point out and to understand is that when God chooses to reconcile humanity to Himself, after the fall. He chooses not to do this by sort of isolating individuals and then saving them one by one. 
What he chooses to do instead is to form a people, to form a community or a society, if you will, and then to gather those who have been scattered by sin into this one community or society. In the Old Testament, this is the people of God that slowly sort of gains members over time, right? You have, you know, Abraham, and then it builds up to, you know, Jacob, and, and then you get Moses, and the, the whole people crossing the Red Sea, right? So it's this, it's this people that continues to sort of organically grow. Now, in the New Covenant, Jesus takes this and he turns it into what you might call a worldwide society. It's still going to grow in the same way, very organically, but the way that the Lord wants to save his people is by gathering them into this new society, or what we can call the kingdom of God. And the, the most common name we know for this is the church. This is what the church is. The church is, is the kingdom of God, we might say in seed form. Now the kingdom of God comes to fulfillment in heaven. So the church, of course, comes to fulfillment in heaven. The church is sort of journeying towards her perfection in heaven. So sometimes in the gospels when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingdom of God in seed form here on earth. And sometimes when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about it in its fulfillment in heaven. So as you familiarize yourself with the Gospels, one of the important things to keep in mind when you run across this phrase, the kingdom of God, is to ask yourself in order to interpret the passage properly, okay, is the Lord talking about the kingdom of God on earth in seed form, the church here on earth? Or is he talking about the kingdom of God in its fulfilled, complete form in heaven? And that will go a long way to helping you understand properly these passages about, about the kingdom of God. Now Jesus talks, as I said, very frequently about the kingdom of God. And sometimes he speaks about it very directly. And sometimes he speaks about it indirectly in parables. When we're talking about a mystery in the strict sense, because we're not going to be able to get our minds completely around it, we have to use different images or analogies or comparisons to kind of cast light on different facets of a mystery. And so this is what Jesus does with the kingdom of God, with the church. Because the church is a mystery, the Lord has to use both direct explanations, but also indirect explanations like parables to sort of draw out different elements. If you think about the kingdom of God or the church as sort of a diamond, every parable is sort of shining light on one of the different facets of the diamond. So, for example, earlier in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, we had a couple of mini parables. Uh, that would describe one of the facets of the diamond that is the church, uh, where Jesus explains how the church expands, how the kingdom of God grows. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is planted in the ground as the smallest of seeds, but it grows to, to become a, a large plant. And the kingdom of God is like you know, a, a little bit of leaven that a woman put in a batch of flour that leavens the whole thing. 
So what is the Lord saying there in using this parable, he's, these parables? He's saying that the way the kingdom of God or the church is meant to grow is very naturally, not in some sort of violent, cosmic, explosive way, but one by one. One believer coming into contact with another, coming into contact with another, and another, and so on until the end of time, right? Jesus also talks about in several parables, one of which we had last week and one which we have today, about how the kingdom of God is sifted at the end of time, at the final judgment. He uses the parable of the weeds and the wheat, which we heard last week. He said, within the kingdom of God, within the church, there are weeds and wheat, and God will sort those out at the end of time. And today he uses a similar parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like a net thrown into the sea that gathers into itself both good and bad fish. And then at the end of time, the Lord sends his angels and they sift out the good and bad fish in the final judgment. So it's another facet of the kingdom of God, the sort of what you might say, the kingdom of God just prior to entering into fulfillment, that moment of the final judgment. And Jesus uses parables to sort of describe this aspect of the church, of the kingdom. Another thing the Lord explains about the church, about the kingdom of God by using parables is various conditions that are necessary to have in order to enter the definitive kingdom, heaven, right? He says that in order to do that, we have to be, we have to be fruitful in our life. And he uses the parable of the talents. Those who are given talents and then bear fruit with them are welcomed into the definitive kingdom while the one who buries his talent in the ground is not. So we know that being fruitful with the gifts we've been given is a condition for entering the definitive kingdom of God. We also know from the parable of the wise and foolish virgins that another condition for entering the definitive kingdom is that we're vigilant and watchful and so on and so forth. So now we come to our little parables today uh, where Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field which a man finds and then he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And then that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls and he finds pearl of great price. He goes, he sells everything he has and he goes and buys that pearl. So now we're moving to a different facet of the, the diamond that is the kingdom of God, that is the church. And we can ask the question, what, what new truth is Jesus teaching us here about the kingdom? And there are many things we could actually draw from this. All the parables are wonderful because you can never quite fully uh, sort of draw out all the riches in them. But one thing I'll hold out to you that Jesus is teaching here is that there has to be a willingness, uh, there has to be a willingness to part with all lesser goods for the sake of the one necessary thing, which is God himself, if we are to truly belong to the kingdom of God. If we are to truly be disciples, there has to be a willingness like these two men in the parables, to sell everything we have 
to part with everything, even if we're ever tested in this way, our own life. There has to be this, this willingness to consider every single thing in life secondary to the one necessary thing, which is, which is God himself, right? And so that means sort of the, the whole gamut. If it becomes clear to me, I've probably used this example way too many times in homilies, but if it becomes clear to me at a certain point that the Lord wants me to give up the lesser good of Cain's, right, for the greater good of, you know, greater, deeper union with Him, self-mastery, yada, yada, uh, and I'm not willing to do that, then I can't really call myself like a, a full-fledged disciple, right? If it becomes clear at a certain point that the Lord wants me to give up some sort of pride or sort of sort of a self-image that I have and to share vulnerably with some friends about something that I struggle with and I refuse to do that, right? I, re I refuse to let go of that thing that I'm holding on to for this thing that the Lord is calling me to do. I can't really call myself you know, a full-fledged disciple. Uh, there's still some work to do to really be a complete member, if you will, of, of His kingdom, right? Or if in the final analysis, the Lord, you know, calls me to set aside even my own life, as I mentioned, uh, I have to be willing to do that. I have to be willing to sell everything, even down to my own life, for the pearl of great price which is the Lord. Um, I just got back late last night from this uh, City on a Hill mission trip to Guatemala, and um, this is my third time going down there. Each year we've always taken a day trip out to this little town where Blessed Stanley Rother, who was an Oklahoma priest, who uh, ministered at a parish in Guatemala from the late 60s to the early 80s. Um, this is the third time we've, we've, we've gone on a day trip to the parish uh, where he was martyred. Um, it was during the, the Civil War in Guatemala in, I believe, 81 or 82. Um, and uh, for, we know that at a certain point when he was down there, when the war was kind of growing pretty tense, um, he was, his name was put on a death list, and so his bishop in Oklahoma called him back uh, to Oklahoma, so he went. Um, but he just, he, he didn't feel right about any of it, and, and he wanted to be back. Uh, with his people in Guatemala, um, and so he begged his bishop to let him go back. So he did. He drove his truck, took him like two or three weeks from Oklahoma all the way down to this little town in, in Guatemala, and not long after that, uh, men came into the, into the rectory one night, and uh, he, he, put up a, he put up a struggle so that he wouldn't be taken off into captivity, and his people, did, you know, he didn't want them to have to worry about him going missing. So he put up a fight and basically forced them to, to shoot him. And so he, he died a martyr there um, in his rectory. And I think, um, you know, he's a great example. His feast day was just a couple days ago. Uh, he's a good example of, of this parable, right? He was willing to even sell his, his life um, for the pearl of great price, right? For fidelity to what he knew God was asking of him. Um, and so the first question for us to ask ourselves today is, you know, what in my life am I not willing to sell uh, for the sake of greater faithfulness, greater union with God? Uh, we all have something, 
Um, there's there's, <laughs> there's going to be something in your life that, you, that you're clinging to, that you're not really willing to, to part with, that you don't want to sell uh, for the greater good of deeper union with God. So the first question is to ask yourself what that is. And then the second question to ask yourself is, uh, of the things that I have sold, that I have given up for the greater good of deeper union with Christ, have I sold those things? Have I detached myself from them? Have I given them up with joy? We read that in the first parable today, that the man who found the treasure in the field, out of joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He doesn't go and sell everything he has reluctantly or with sorrow or with complaining. <laughs> he does it with joy, right? So the second question to ask yourself is, of the things that you have given up, that you have sold for the sake of following Christ, in what manner have you sold those? Has it been reluctantly? Has it been with a complaining spirit? Right? Or has it been with joy? Um, I know all of you have given up at least something Many of you have given up many things. You've sold many things in a spiritual sense in order to follow Christ more closely. So it's worth examining, have you, have you done that with a spirit of freedom? Have you done that with joy? Or, or have you done it, as I often do, you know, kicking and screaming? <laughs> um, that's, our, that's, that's our temptation, right? Because we, we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust that by giving up these things freely that, that He will bless us. Um, that He will bless us a hundredfold, right? And so if you notice things in your life that you haven't given up with the spirit of freedom, that you've given up reluctantly, don't worry. Like, you're halfway there. So you've, <laughs> you've done well. You're not the rich young man who just turns away completely from Jesus when He asks Him to give up what He has and follow Him. You've at least made that step. And now the task is purifying that decision. So ask the Lord for help. Lord, help me... To, to, give, to sell this thing, to detach from this thing, or whatever it is, with a greater spirit of freedom, with a greater spirit of trust in you, um, with a greater spirit of joy.